Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the show. I have got two fantastic guests, guests tonight. None other than presidential candidates, Bernie, uh, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. They'll be joining me for an interview in just a few moments, just to give you a rundown on what's going on uh, for the rest of the show. And even before that, wow, do we have a lot of new shows. Uh, it was, you know, just a few weeks ago, we had like three or four shows, and now we've got almost twice as many. So... On Mondays, we have Anti-90 with Raven Grimm. I believe that's at 6 o'clock. On Tuesdays, we are now going to be having a James Martin show, which is Inside Vaping. That'll be every other Tuesday. On every every other Tuesday, or every other other Tuesday, there will be another show that I can't tell you what, uh, what it is yet, but you will be uh, excited about it. So every Tuesday, there will be a show. I can't guarantee a show every week on Wednesday, but most Wednesdays, ClickBang will be here at 9 o'clock. On Thursday is the Genie K show. On Friday is uh, Ed Wolf's show, uh, The Week in Vape, I think it's called, or The Vape Week. Um, he did his first show last Friday, I guess, and it went quite well. So look forward to that in the future as well. Um, I don't believe we have anything on Saturday, but Sunday, of course, we have Kevin with uh, VP Live. So we're kind of booked now, almost, almost all the way booked, but I guess we do have one night free still. So lots of great content. Um, just a quick rundown on what's going on with the show. After my interview with Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, I will be talking about the Super Tuesday results and what they mean and what aims to be a easily digestible format so you can understand what's going on and what's going to happen in the future. We're going to talk about some disgusting social justice warriors who are getting served with some justice, namely Professor Melissa Click from the University of Missouri, and more recently, uh, the three women in Albany who fabricated a racist mob attack. Well, guess what? It's they're the ones who were uh, attacking people because they're racist, and now they're going to get charged. We're going to talk a little bit about a cop. You know, we've, we've heard this story before on ClickBang. A cop killed a teenager and an innocent bystander. That's not the story. The story is that now he is suing the family of the dead teenager because the incident caused some emotional trauma. You can't make this stuff up. And other than that, some some other random stuff and fun with extra strong snooze. All right, with that said, let's get it going. So let's get right into it. I got a phone call just before the show. One of my listeners in Michigan says, hey, Russ, I'm at a bar in Detroit, and you're not going to believe who's here. I said, I don't know who. He says, it's Sanders and Clinton. They're both at the bar. They're arguing, and they're wasted. And I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. 
he's like, do you want me to ask them if they'll come on the show tonight? And I said, of course. Yeah, sure. I mean, they're not going to say yes, but lo and behold, I guess they've had enough. Yeah, they want to come on. So I got them both on the line over here. Um, welcome to the show. Uh, Secretary, former Secretary of State, what do you, what do you, uh, Secretary of State Clinton and Senator Sanders. Uh, I guess we'll start with you, Mrs. Clinton. Um, we'll get into what's been going on in the campaign, but obviously everything started back in Iowa where you very narrowly defeated Sanders by a series of coin tosses. And I wonder if you could just comment on that. Well, it's hard to beat a Jew in a coin toss because they steal the coin in midair. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. That's some introduction. Okay. Uh, Senator Sanders, how are you doing tonight? Fine, fine. Okay, great. Uh, you know, can you respond to that um, incredibly uh, anti-Semitic comment that uh, Ms. Clinton just made? Uh, I couldn't just sit back and watch this goyim skank run off her stupid mouth. Uh, he's always shouting. Change the batteries in your hearing aids, asshole. Oh, you've been using all the batteries in America to power your dildos, you whore. Okay. Uh, let's try to get back to the issues, if we could, please. Uh, a Supreme Court justice uh, just died, uh, Anthony, Anthony, Anthony Scalia. And Mr. Sanders, I would like to get your opinion on that. What did you think of Scalia? Sounds like a disease on Hillary's twat. My twat is clean, which is more than I can say for your underwear, you incontinent bitch. Well, I guess he was right. Uh, whoever referred me to this, yeah, you guys are fucking wasted. Okay, well, Mr. Sanders, in the event that you are the next president of the United States, who would you nominate to the Supreme Court? To the, to the, uh, to the Supreme Court? I vow to nominate the most liberal motherfucker I can find. Right now it's a toss-up between Michael Moore and the guy who sells me weed. Let's be real. The only person Bernie Sanders will be nominating is a Jamaican nurse to wipe his ass. Well, again, we're going to try to get back to the issues here. Mrs. Clinton, you have been criticized quite a, quite, quite a bit by all of the money that you're taking by speaking at Goldman Sachs and other Wall Street institutions, they're giving you millions and millions of dollars. How do you respond to these allegations that this money from Wall Street is going to influence your policy? Well, yes, but I've spoken at churches, hospitals, and car manufacturers. You keep saying the same things. There must be an echo inside your pussy. How's this for an echo? Call me Jew! Call me Jew! Call me Jew! We need a political revolution in this country, one led by a leader who isn't up to have over its special interest cash. And I think we need a leader who won't die before his inauguration. Boom! <laughs> well, as we can see in this conversation tonight, there has been a lot of bad blood between the two of you as this race gets longer and longer. Senator Sanders, would you endorse Hillary Clinton if she wins the nomination? Talking about bad blood, check out Hillary's tampon. It's in the Smithsonian, surrounded by flies. Zing! Sorry, I missed that. I was busy over here being electable. Tell me, how does Fidel Castro's cock taste? Excuse me? I'm guessing like a panini sandwich? Oh, eat my ass, bitch! Suck my clit. Your secret service name is Kankles. Ass munch. Cod face. Jewy Jew. Okay, I'm having a lot of trouble getting this. This is, 
This is basically just like the GOP debates. But uh, back to the issues. Perhaps something we can talk about that you both agree on, like universal health care, gender equality issues, uh, the fact that Robin Quivers is still a dime at over 60 years old. I don't know, something? And we both agree that Robin Quivers has awesome big tits. Yes, especially the one on the right. You stupid bitch. Everyone knows her left tit is the best tit. Figures you like that tit that leans to the left. Call me shithead. I'd take either one of her titties over your dried-up old grandma flapjacks. America, hater. You were at Trump's last wedding. You were at the Gettysburg Address. Make my dinner, bitch. Do my taxes, money lender. Lesbo. Limp dick. Harry pussy. All right, we're not getting anywhere here. Okay, well, I think we're going to cut that short. We can't really get any substantial debate on the issues. But thank you both for uh, for joining me for that uh, wonderful interview. There they go, everybody. Former Secretary of State Hillary Rodden Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Let's talk uh, actually for real about what happened on Super Tuesday. It was... Uh, this is a this is a presidential race like we've never seen before, um, particularly on the Republican side, because you have a complete outsider who is dominating not just the polls, but now, as we can see in primaries and caucuses, he is the clear front runner. Uh, for a long time, people thought, well, you know, this is just like a media circus kind of thing. Donald Trump is going to get a lot of attention. But when people actually go into the voting booths, they're not going to pull the trigger. Well, they are. On the other side, uh, we have a grassroots candidate, a populist senator with the socialist leanings, uh, Bernie Sanders, who was putting up quite a big ch challenge up until yesterday, Super Tuesday. Um, we'll talk about that race first. It's over. Um, I'm calling it now. Um, Sanders' best chance to be anywhere near even was up through yesterday. Uh, he did well in Iowa. He did great in New Hampshire. And then the train kind of rolled off the tracks. Uh, it, it comes down to this. Black voters are not voting for Sanders. Plain and simple. Even in the states that he's winning narrowly at this point, he narrowly won. He won Oklahoma. Um, you know, upwards of 90% of the black voters voted for Clinton. Um, he cannot win this election unless he gets the support of black voters and other minority voters, and he's not getting it. Moving forward, it gets a lot worse because up until today, the states, the delegates uh, that the states awarded were done in a way where even if you didn't win, you could have won some of the delegates. So, for example, you know, that was good and bad for Sanders. It was good for Sanders in, in Iowa. It was bad for him, and even though he gave such a solid performance in New Hampshire— he didn't even get most of it. But, you know, it was it was still a helpful thing to him overall. Moving forward, the picture is much bleaker. He's not going to be able to get some of the delegates from the states that he loses. They become, from this point forward, or I'm not sure if Michigan is like this or not, but in the near future, the states moving forward, they're going to be winner-take-all. And Sanders just doesn't have enough hope in those states, particularly the big ones, to have any kind of chance of getting a good share of the delegates on top of that, there's this concept of super delegates, which I'm not going to spend too much time on, but let, you know, it works a little bit differently between the Democrats and the Republicans and the, in the democratic party in the DNC, it much, much favors the establishment favorite. 
They don't have to vote for Clinton, for, for Clinton, but they are right now pledged to her, and that's over 200 of them. Uh, if there were a situation where Sanders was able to accumulate a significant amount of debt, then maybe some of them would have switched over. But they are not going to be because, you know, they're chosen by the party. They're, you know, they kind of just do what the party wants. Ostensibly, they're supposed to do what the people wants. But if moving forward, Sanders doesn't, you know, isn't within 100 delegates that by the time, you know, the the, the convention gets there, there's no way that they're going to be pledging any votes. So Clinton has a huge advantage from that. And she is mostly legitimately one the amount of delegates that she has already and it's and it's a big lead um it's over for sanders i know what this feels like i don't uh you know i i don't care for either of the candidates but i'd like to see bernie sanders do better just because he's not a rank and file democrat but would i ever vote for him no never but still i would have liked to see him drain her her war chest a little bit i don't think that's going to be a problem this is a big, this the Super Tuesday, the big winner by far was Hillary Clinton because she can adjust her finances moving forward so that she doesn't really have to sink a lot of money in moving forward. She knows the math is pretty simple. There is absolutely no way, unless there are some drastic changes in the polling that's been done for the states that matter that are winner take all, there is no way he's going to be able to, to overtake her in, in in any way. Even if the superdelegates were in a factory, he'd have a, a really, really hard time. The fact that she's got hundreds of superdelegates uh, in, in her pocket, it's it's almost impossible. I know how this feels. I was, you know, with Rand Paul, he kind of cut the cord early, which was a smart thing to do. Um, Ron Paul, you know, fought to the end, and it was just watching what happened to him. You know, I can tell you the same thing's going to happen to Sanders. It's it's not going to be a fair fight, and he doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell. It's too bad. It looked good for him for a while. It would have been interesting. But half of the race now has become uh, very boring. Um, Clinton will easily just plow through the rest of the states and be able to save a lot of money while she's doing that. That's that. The Now, th that's actually a really good um, point that... Mudflap just brought up, and I was going to say this and I forgot, so I'm glad I, I glanced down. Uh, Sanders is wise to stick in it for the point that he just, uh, that, that uh, Trip just raised. This email scandal that Clinton is involved in, it's a big deal, even though Sanders famously said in that debate, I don't care about your damn emails. It doesn't care if you, it doesn't matter if you care about them or not, Sanders. It matters whether or not the FBI and the Department of Justice care about them, and they care about them very, very much. The security breach that happened because Clinton put a private server on to, I don't know why she did it, it, it seems ridiculous. The, the, she knows what the law is. I mean, uh, forget about the law for a second. The, the secrets and the classified information that was on her server, I guarantee it was all compromised. The, the server that she set up was a joke. It had a, secure, it had a security level, the, the encryption level so low that any smart college, uh, college student, high school freshman, fuck that, junior high freshman, who has any kind of hacking skills could easily get into that server. It wasn't hard to find. And listen, Russia, China, the, the, the half a dozen other countries, 
every day they're doing they're doing their damnedest to, to to hack our shit and now you give them this this easy easy target that's so so soft you think they didn't get into that of course they did they got everything that that was on there and sadly there's probably people who have already died over this we will not know that because their identities and their missions you know they're they're so secret that you'd never know about it at least you won't for a long time but she placed some people at serious serious risk along with policy decisions department you know state state decisions on on warrant i mean what she did was so reckless and so dangerous and so extremely illegal I cannot, I mean, the, the investigation is ongoing. I mean, these things don't happen overnight, but they're going to have a knockout case against her. And at that point, what the only thing that really surprises me so far, I, I'm, I'm not surprised that we're at the stage we're at on the Democratic side right now. What I'm really surprised at is that the DNC is not doing anything in terms of putting up a third candidate or preparing anybody, it seems, to run. Because if they want Sanders out, and one day Clinton is looking at jail time. If one day Clinton is looking at being in bars, being being in prison before she can even put her hand on the Bible, then there's only one guy left. It's Sanders. And they don't want that. Now, they don't necessarily want to dilute what's going on because she's doing great and they want her. Believe me, the DNC wants, wants Clinton. They wanted her eight years ago, actually. They wanted her over Obama. But... Why aren't they doing anything? They got they got to put somebody up there. I mean, even I mean, even if it's Biden, I mean, somebody they got to put somebody up because it's it's a very very it, it, it. Here's the thing: it's not if it's when. When is this indictment going to come down? Is it going to come down once she's already in office? Is it going to come down after November? Is it going to come down before November? It, it's going to come down. They they have her dead to rights and. Yeah, she's one of the most powerful women in the country, but she's not powerful enough to dodge malfeasance at this level. It is serious shit what she did, and there's no question that she broke the law and that there are dozens of felonies that she's going to be facing. So, I don't know. Yeah, Sanders should absolutely stay. And I mean, he's got enough money to, to hang in there till the end. But the question is, does Hillary have a good enough defense to, to fight this stuff off? She really doesn't. It's just a question of whether or not she's got enough political power to, to, to push this stuff off. I don't think she does. So um, I said a second ago that it got very boring, and it will be boring for a while, but when that indictment comes down, it's not going to be boring anymore. That's going to be big shit. Stay tuned. So now we look at the Republicans. Um, it's not so clear-cut there. Um, yes, Trump had a very good day, not quite as good as what he was projected to, but good enough for sure. He only lost one state that he was projected to win, but he's still going to get delegates in, and that was Oklahoma. Texas was a big state for Cruz, uh, which he was expected to win because that's his home state. Uh, just about everything else went to uh, Trump, except I think Minnesota went to Cruz. Now, Cruz is by far and away, the choice for the establishment. Uh, and who else do you have? You have uh, Kasich and uh, what's his name? Ben Carson sticking around for some reason. Now, Kasich, he has a state coming. He has his own state coming up, so he'll win that. Carson, I have no idea why he's still in it. There's no chance at all for him. But the fact of the matter is everybody is still in it. Christie dropped out and supported uh, Trump and, you know, 
Ron, uh, Rand Paul and some of the other inferior and you know Pataki, some of the others dropped out. But the more here's the thing, even though Trump didn't do quite as well as he was projected to in Tuesday, the fact that everyone else kind of chopped it up quite a bit is really good for Trump. For example, if so between Cruz and, and Rubio, if Rubio did so badly and didn't win anything and got hardly any delegates, he might actually drop out. He might have actually dropped out. Maybe he's actually way behind in Florida, which is his home state. Trump's scheduled. And that hardly ever happens in the primaries. Uh, Rubio's doing horribly in Florida. Anyway, he did just well enough that he has to stay in at this point, and he should. Uh, Cruz also did just well enough where he should stay in. Uh, Carson should, should drop out. Not that he's a factor and whatever case he's, he's going to, he's going to gobble up some of the, uh, delegates in Ohio. So the fact that Trump did do very well combined with the rest of the guys chopping up quite a lot of the other stuff, it's really good for Trump because the longer that those people stay in, the more chance he has at those winner-take-all states. If it was one-on-one -on -one moving forward, doesn't matter against who. Trump versus Rubio, Trump versus Cruz, doesn't matter. If he had to go one-on-one -on -one in all of those winner-take-all states, he's going to lose a lot of them. If he has to go one-on-four in a lot of those states, he's going to win most of them, and it's going to get to the point where he's going to have so many, because they're winner-take-all, that nobody is going to be able to catch up to him. It's going to become statistically impossible pretty quickly. So that being said, the fact that today, pretty much everyone else who was in Super Tuesday, well, I guess everybody else who was on in Super Tuesday, they're still all here, uh, is a great, great thing for the Trump campaign. If one or more drop out, that's a bad thing for him. So Really, the the GOP kind of has to decide if they really don't want Trump, and it appears that they really, really don't, because he wants a lot of things that they don't want. He's not, they want the establishment candidate. They want Rubio. But would they take Cruz over Trump? Yeah, in a heartbeat. Over the next few uh, primaries, it's gonna the the picture is gonna be a lot clearer, and they're gonna have to do something. For example, if Rubio can't carry Florida, which it seems that he can't, and Trump wins, which it seems that he will. He's not going to be viable moving forward. They're going to they're going to have to bite the bullet and do something they really don't want to do. They're going to have to they're going to ask him to drop out and endorse Cruz. And I don't know if he has the stomach for that. So um that being said, the pick the, the, where it stands today, it's even though Trump does have quite a bit, it's not it's not like on the Democratic side. It's not a runaway by any means yet. Anything can happen. Trump is a volatile candidate although the more crazy he says something, the, the, the more crazy stuff he says, it doesn't seem like people seem to mind. But anything can happen. Weird weird stuff can happen. Um, the most notable thing, if people drop out, that's really bad for him. So we'll see. Um, I would say the chance of Clinton winning the nomination is all but 100%. 99% she's going to get the nomination. Uh, of course, pending the results of, that, uh, of, the, of the FBI investigation. Other than that, she's in. Trump, I would put at 50%, which is a lot because there's four other people there, but a lot can change. He is still clearly the front winner. He still 
probably will get the nomination, but a lot of moving parts, a lot of things can happen that would stop that. So that's the way I see the race shaping up. It's interesting. It's exciting. And the fact that I don't have a dog in the race at this point, um, I'm just entertained by the whole thing. So uh, that being said, you know, vote, vote libertarian, but watch the soap opera. It's It's been pretty good so far. Okay, so I'm pretty sure I've talked about Melissa Click in the past, but for the for the benefit of those who maybe missed that episode, there during the protest at the protests at the University of Missouri, there was one a notable exchange where, well, there was one notable incident where basically the uh, some of the students who I guess were going to go on a hunger strike over something so stupid that nobody even remembers it anymore. It was, I think it was. Somebody got bumped by a car or something. I, I don't know. It was something nobody's even talking about anymore because it's so stupid. It was a non-event. But what they did to protest was they were demanding the removal of the president of the university and all kinds of other demands. So what they did was they went on to a, in a public area, just this big piece of lawn uh, in the student, in the, uh, on, on campus, and they set up this little tent city with people who were going to supposedly go on hunger strikes and it was supposed to be a safe space from media. So media is not allowed to be in this area at all. Of course, they can't do that. It's a public space. This is not a private university. This is a public space. It's open to the public. Anyone can go there. And nobody is allowed to say, you're not allowed here or you're not allowed here. No, it's a public space. It's accessible to anyone. That is how public spaces work. You can't go out on the sidewalk and say, this is a this is a safe space now for whatever reason. No, it's a public sidewalk. You can't block other people from going on it. You can't block a, block a public street, a public library, a public sidewalk. It's public property. It is open to all 24 hours a day. End of story. But they thought they could. Uh, and they actually did largely succeed, although it, got, uh, it didn't end well for them. Uh, there was an Asian reporter who was there and he was trying to get some pictures of the tent city and he was forcibly pushed back and in the little melee where they were surrounding this guy and pushing him back, this other dude, this white dude, he, you know, they were concentrating on the Asian reporter cause he had a big fancy camera. This guy just had an iPhone and they were, they were so busy pushing back Asian guy with big camera. They didn't really notice white guy with iPhone camera. So he just strolled up to the tent city and he, Went up to Melissa Click, who was uh, who was a professor there. She was teaching various nonsense. Like her specialty is in studying twilight. I'm not even making this up. Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey. She studies pop culture nonsense and teaches bullshit social science courses. Just and and of all things, had a seat. Uh, on the university that they had some panel for journalism. So he walks up to her. He says, I'm media. Can I talk to you? She says, no, you have to get out of here. And he's like, no, I don't. This is a public space. First, she responded by trying to grab his camera and uh, trying to grab his iPhone, which she was using as a video camera to take it away from him. But he wouldn't let her do that. And she said, okay, I need some muscle over here. I need muscle to get this guy out of here, which then happened. A bunch of people surrounded him and pushed him out. Okay. Now, this is grossly illegal for many reasons. Number one, he has a right to be there and he has a First Amendment right to record anything that he sees in a public space. 
She violated that right by inciting others to physically remove him, which they did. Second, she broke the law first by grabbing him. That's battery. Uh, and second, inciting other people to do the same by saying, hey, I need some muscle over here. Get this guy out of here. So what happened? First, she was arrested. Uh, it, it, well, well, that's not true. First, she was temporarily suspended pending an investigation with pay. Okay. While she was suspended with pay, uh, she was arrested for third degree. Uh, I forget if it was either assault or battery. Uh, and rightly so. She pled guilty and uh, had to do some community service. Ultimately, the university decided because not be, you know, you'll see these articles. If you, if you just do, if you just simply do a Google search for Melissa Click, uh, you'll find a variety of articles, uh, some from her supporters saying that this was a huge loss for academic freedom. It had nothing to do with academic freedom. It had everything to do with her actively and violently trying to deny and successfully denying a student his constitutional rights to free speech and free press. And that is what was cited by the university for the reason why they fired her. It had nothing to do with what she was teaching. It had nothing to do with her beliefs. It had to do with what she did. Rarely does justice prevail in these cases of social justice warriors going out and depriving other people of their rights. In this case, it did. And that is good news. And she is gone. Cheers. Here's another one that happened. This happened, the incident itself happened uh, just at the very end of January. I think it was on January 29th. I've got a, many articles on this that you guys can uh, check out which I'll put in the replay notes and in the chat here too. Here's here's what supposedly happened on January 29th, at least what everybody, well, not everybody, a lot of people believed and what this huge false narrative was built around. There was some kind of Martin Luther King Jr. protest, demonstration, whatever, during the day, and that, that nothing happened there related to this. But as students were taking buses home from that and just taking buses home from, universe, from the university to, to, to wherever they lived, they were on a city bus, and supposedly what happened, according to these three black women or the women of color or whatever, uh, they said that they were on the bus and they started being verbally abused, people calling them the N-word and all kinds of stuff, while they were on the bus minding their own business. And then they were these three women were attacked by a mob of white people that beat them and yelled uh, racial slurs at them. This instantly got national press. No other, none other than Hillary Clinton uh, tweeted about the incident saying how this was a horrible thing. So you got the presumptive uh, next uh, woman running for president as a, as a Democrat, you know, giving this a platform. And there were huge protests. The kid, the, the guy that was implicated, he had to leave the school. He literally had to drop out of the school because of so many threats of violence against them. His friends had to disappear from campus for a while. Um, and, you know, if the allegations were true, maybe that wouldn't have been a bad thing. Maybe they should have been sure if, if that was true. If there was this mob attack on a bus of these women and they said, oh, nobody did anything about it. And the bus driver didn't do anything about it. And we were beaten and we had to go to the hospital. All this stuff 
If that was all true, then of course there's a victim and an aggressor and the aggressors need to be brought to justice. Well, the aggressors are being brought to justice, but it turns out it is these three women. And it's thanks to two things. One, cell phone video taken from people who are on the bus. And somehow these women, before they went to the police and made these reports that they were attacked by a mob of angry white people and they were racially abused and all this stuff, they didn't once think, hey, forget about does somebody on the bus have a smartphone? That's a given. Maybe they thought, oh, you know, it happened so quick, maybe nobody took a, took a picture, took a video. There are a dozen cameras on that bus. That's some bus, a dozen cameras. Well, needless to say, there are plenty of really, really good angles of the incident. And guess what happened? Guess who was the aggressor? Yes, it was the three women. They started to beat the shit out of some white guy. Why did they do that? Was it because he said something racially motivated? I don't know. There is actually audio on those cameras and the audio, you, you can't really hear whether or not he had said anything to them. But if he did, does it matter? Is it elite? Is it rude and nasty to call somebody a hurtful word? Yeah, it is. Does that make it legal to attack them? Of course it doesn't. No. So it doesn't matter. Even if you give the benefit of the doubt and let's say he, he dropped the N-bomb on them. It doesn't matter. That doesn't give you carte blanche morally or legally. It does not give you the right to start beating the shit out of somebody that here's, here's what there's no question in who started hitting. They did all of them all at once started beating on this white kid. 12 camera angles. Don't lie. Uh, 13. If you count the cell phone video one I saw. So what happened? Well, they were arrested, and rightly so. They are now facing, here's some articles for you guys. Uh, they are now facing uh, assault charges, and rightly so. Uh, they were clearly the aggressors. They were clearly in the wrong. Now, one of those articles, um, I'm going to read a couple of them. This first one, this is from the old gray lady. This is this is in the New York Times, and it's just mind-boggling. Uh, I'm going to read parts of this to you now. So the allegation uh, set social media ablaze, shock and outrage as it went. Three black students at the University of Albany, at, at, at the University of Albany, had attacked on a, had been attacked on a city bus by a group of white men who used racial slurs as other passengers and the driver sat idly by. The January 30th incident reported to police would draw hundreds of people to a campus rally against racism, an emotional response from the university president and even the attention of Hillary Clinton, who condemned the attack on Twitter. So they said, we've been attacked. We'll, all right, I'm going to skip over some of this. A few weeks later, what seemed to be the latest iteration of now familiar debate about race, uh, race on campus, the protests, the anguish, soul searching, the calls for greater faculty diversity and administrative changes had, uh, had changed into a controversy of even a more scorching kind. The allegation, the authority said, was a lie. Surveillance video did not support the accounts of the young women. Neither did the statements of multiple fellow passengers. Rather than being victims of a hate crime, the authorities said the women had been the aggressors, hitting a 19-year-old white woman on the bus, and they also hit a, a white guy. All three pleaded not guilty. Uh, the judge who oversaw the arrangement uh, called the charges shameful. 
Um, now, here's where the article gets really cringy. It was a turnabout tailor-made to delight to for conservative media outlets. Well, well, it was tailor-made by these women who lied. It, 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 yeah, sure, I guess it'll delight conservative media outlets, but shouldn't everybody be upset when people, whoever they are, start attacking other people and then saying that they're the victim. I think everyone should be upset about that, but the New York Times doesn't seem to think so. Um, yeah, so, okay. For students and activists in Albany and elsewhere, the stakes were greater. Greater than, for who? Than, than the kid who doesn't go to school there anymore because he feared for his life every day? Who were who the stakes greater for then? Oh, Many feared that the hard-won dialogue over racism on campus, the fragile moment of unity, would disappear under a wave of finger-pointing. Quote, people were forced to think about things that they didn't think about, maybe, before, said Amberly, Am Amberly Carter, a coordinator at the university's Multicultural Resource Center, who helped organize the rally. So do we now stop defending black women because of what happened? No. You call it as it happened. And you denounce these women for lying. Okay, the article continues. The February 1st rally in front of a campus fountain had seemed to signal an awakening for a university that had watched the University of Missouri, Yale, and other institutions grapple with protests over racial discrimination without quite erupting into its own. Young black women spoke of the subtle racism that stamped their daily lives. Students, faculty members, and staff members of all races listened intently. This quote, this time, it was more intense because the climate on campus shifted to, oh my gosh, this happened to us, said Mrs. Carter, who emphasized that she spoke not as an employee, but an advocate for students. Well, you can't do that. You speak for both. But whatever solidarity emerged has fractured over the changes against the young women, putting their supporters on the defensive. Behind the rush to declare a matter, behind the rush to declare the matter a hoax, they say, is an ingrained prejudice, again, taking concerns of minority women seriously. Well, when minority women make shit up, that when others do it in the future, yeah, they're going to think twice about believing them. In fact, this is not New York Times now, this is me. Think about it. Every major case that has gotten national or even international attention where something horrible, a gang rape, a lynch mob, you name it, all of those stories have proven to be false. You guys keep asking us to believe the victim no matter what. How could any thinking person do that when every huge story that you guys get behind and cry some great social injustice has been, has been done, they've all been false. What do you expect people to do? They're going to believe you even before all this shit started proving to be hoaxes. All right, the article continues. Activists have also noted that the footage the authorities have released so far is incomplete, offering the possibility that something happened to provoke the young women into a physical confrontation before the videos began. Well, it wasn't something physical that happened. So it doesn't really matter because you are never allowed to initiate violence. If somebody is saying some racist shit, you know what? Take out your phone and record it. Justice will be swift. You do not, you, you don't have the right, legally or morally, to make it 
physical violence. This is me, not the Times, as you keep saying that. All right, going back to what the Times said. Though, um, right. Okay, I, uh, quote, I walked away saying, I can't tell you what happened in that video. You haven't shown me anything to confirm that these young women are, what these young women are saying, and I can't deny it either because it's not clear to me, said Alice Green, a social justice activist and the director of the Center for Law and Justice based in Albany. She was one of several community and university leaders whom the district attorney invited to review the evidence before charges were brought. She continues, quote, but once you lodge charges against someone, she added, in the minds of most people, that's guilt. Well, you know, the, the all the camera angles that are available show these women starting to beat the shit out of other people. So if that's not a time to charge them with a crime, I don't know what is because there's no evidence that at all that they were hit first. Um, many of their peers, however, saw the videos and charges as evidence of betrayal. Quote, it's disappointing and saddening that someone who seemed to be trying to help the movement would be the one to set it back, said Lauren Hopesdale's a freshman referring to Ms. Burwell, who is one of the people claiming to be a victim who was actually the aggressor. She said she was worried that it'll be harder for people to believe and support minority women in similar situations in the future. Uh, yes, it will be, and rightly so. Because all of these incidents keep turning out the same way as hoaxes. Yet, Mrs. Hopesdale added, we needed her to get that conversation started so it wasn't a waste of time. Again, completely ignoring the real victim, the real people who were attacked by these people. And even if it's it, it, uh, fine, they were physically attacked. As far as I know, their physical injuries were not major. That's not the point. Some of these people were run out of college. They were run out of the university. Their families made plans for years that culminated with their with their children going to these schools. They are no longer because they were victims of a hoax. They are the victims. So it wasn't a waste of time. That was worth it was worthwhile to get the dialogue started. If some white kids now can't go to school, can't go to the school anymore because they fear for their life. That was worthwhile. Okay. Uh, Sammy Sacek, an assistant professor in the university's English department, who has devoted class time since the bus episode to talking through the implications for the students, said she was concerned that the women's de de uh, detractors had failed to consider the prejudice and racialized language the women may have encountered on campus or before the bus ride that could have played a role in provoking the fight. Yeah, uh, that could have happened. But, you know, funny thing is the women who mentioned who brought this all to the police and brought this all to the media you know funny thing they never mentioned that that any of that happened don't you think that they would have mentioned that if that had happened earlier in the day obviously they went right to twitter and instagram right after the the bus incident saying exactly what happened all lies but they went right you don't think while they were walking around early in the day if they were in, encountering any of this that they would have mentioned it none of them yet you pull it out of your ass as a possibility well Hey, but you never know. What if they were triggered earlier in the day by something racist that happened to them? How is that even relevant? That had nothing to do with the students on the bus. If they encountered that earlier, which they didn't, has nothing to do with the people on the bus. It doesn't give, nor would it even give them any right to do it. Continuing with the article, whatever the outcome of the criminal cases, Professor Salk said, the events had already served a useful purpose, making white students aware of the subtle slights that students of color 
regularly encountered. No, it didn't do that. It made white students aware that stay away from fucking social justice warriors because they will accuse you of doing shit that will ruin your life whether or not you've done anything at all. That's the only awareness that's been brought, you fucking idiot. Quote, my, stand by. Excuse me. Stand by. Uh, 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 quote, my white students have said this has opened up conversation, she said. Things that are inadvertent, small, but that these white students have no experience with not being a person of color on this campus. You know what? Anybody who's saying that to you, they're saying that because when they, when you call on them in class, if they don't say something like that, then they're then they're the next victim, the next real victim. Uh, quote, I feel like they kind of messed it up for the rest of us, Olivia Bishop a Jr. said on Tuesday. It's like, I stood up for you, and now to figure out that you wanted this whole thing to be a hoax, it's disappointing. It's just honestly the saddest thing in the world. Well, that's a useful quote from the article. And here's another useful one I'm going to read from, uh, this is from uh, the Times Union, which is a local paper. This is, a, I guess, a letter to the editor. Um, from a student, her name is Christy uh, Gustafson Barrett. Um, before I read her thing, let me read to you some of the things that one of these hoaxers, uh, Asher Burwell, who has now been charged with assault, let me let me read to you what she first wrote. Hey guys, it was me that tweeted that my friends and I had just been beaten on a bus and continually and continuously called ignorant and then niggers. It started off with girls yelling at us and then my friend helped me because I was being hit and then a whole bunch of guys started hitting me and my two friends, punching us in the head. I was yelling and begging anyone to help and people just recorded it or told us to shut the fuck up or no one helped us, not even the bus driver who let the bus sit at the stop at the social science building while my friend got beat in the head by white guys. I went in to try to help her and here girls held my arms behind my back and made me watch her get beaten. And then they started hitting me too. My friend and I are in the hospital right now getting checked out. One of my friends has a swollen lip and it was bleed bleeding and probably a concussion. They think I have a concussion too, as well as my friend whose extensions were pulled out. Uh, she continues, she also has cuts on her face and hand. And then there was one point where I couldn't even see anything except the guys on top of me as they punched me in the face and were calling us the N-word. One thing that's upset me is that my friend called the cops and the Albany city police officer that showed up, her first thing to say when she came to our room was that it smelled like weed. And that's when I knew she did. All right, so whatever. Um, point is, all the stuff that you did, all that stuff that you said, none of that happened. None of it was true. There's video evidence that proves it was not true. And all of those social media posts will now be used against you in a court of law. Anyway, here is what student Christy uh, Barlett said. Ms. Burwell, Ms. Burwell again, one of the hoaxers. Like many in the community, I am fixated on your story, a story that began in late January when you and two friends said you were the victims of a racial attack while riding a packed bus early one week weekend morning. You went into detail talking on social media about the physical and verbal assaults you, you suffered. But it appears your claims are false. Why, I wonder, why would you lie? Do you believe what happened? 
Did being in the moment feel like one thing to you when it looked like something entirely different to everyone else? Were you intoxicated when you posted those detailed claims to Instagram? If so, were you also intoxicated in the hours, days, and weeks following as you kept the story alive? Did you lie because you see race relations in the country as horrible and you thought accusations like yours may draw attention to the disparities many minorities suffer on a near daily basis? Did you think you were helping? Did you lie for attention and then when the story got legs, think, oh crap, it's too late to backtrack, backtrack now, so I better just go ahead with it? Did you relish the fact that Hillary Clinton commented on your story? Did you lie to bring attention to your university, a school that's worked hard to rid itself of much of the negative pub publicity it's received over the years? Is this what you're taught to do in those pre-law classes that you've been taking? I think not. At any point, did you consider standing at that podium during your Seinfeld rally and speaking the truth of being the adult you should be learning to be while in college and own, owning up to false claims? Did you think perhaps that when the public learned that you lied, that finding a job would be next to impossible or that you were already planning on earning your MBA through this great school you wronged and going on to be an entrepreneur who didn't need to work for the man? Or did you just think, uh, if this goes horribly wrong, I'll change my name, maybe my hair, maybe I'll wear glasses too, so that when I do interact with potential employers, clients, or customers, if I own my own business, hopefully no one will recognize me. Did it occur to you that you weren't a woman of one or three uh, crying wolf, but rather your actions, your decisions, your choices will make people, the public and otherwise, think many who come after you with their own legitimate, fair, honest claims of assault are also lying? Do you feel any remorse over the fact that you're an embarrassment to yourself, your school, your family, your community, your peers? Lies are not without motivation, Ms. Burwell. What was yours? Christy, scathing uh, and beautifully written. She's right on every point. Her last question, her last point, lies don't happen without motivation. What was yours? Her motivation is something that was taught. And it was taught to her by the same campus that she's accusing of all of these things that never happen, all this racially motivated stuff, all the stuff that they supposedly go through on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis. She was taught by the social science professors like Melissa Click, although Melissa Click was at a different university. What they teach is that it's the issue. It's the, it's the issue, not the person. It doesn't matter what somebody says, even if it's not true. It's just the fact that these things happen. So bringing this stuff to light through any narrative, whether it be true or false, is valid because the underlying problem still exists. And you can, you can hear from the New York Times article that I read, that's exactly what they're saying. None of those people who are supporters of these women are saying anything about the fact that when, in a, when a false accusation like this comes out which leads to lives being ruined which has already happened not the not the accusers but the people in the university who were accused of doing this the white the white um, men and women who were supposedly were beating them holding them back calling them the n-word all that 
No, their lives were ruined for a month or maybe more forever, you know. Kids drop that. But look at the positive they, that came out of this, they said. Where do you think they learned this? Where, when these people who were professors at the university said, well, th some positive things have come out of this. A dialogue has come out of this. So it's productive. Where do you think these kids learn this shit? They didn't learn it from their parents. They learned it through these social science professors. And it really, it has to stop. I would say that, of course, these three women are not victims. They were the aggressors. But maybe, in this incident at least, they are certainly not the victims. Although, hopefully, uh, they'll be brought to justice. It doesn't mean you're a victim. That just means you're brought to justice. But are they victims in some sense? I would say yes. They are the victims of these professors who are telling them that, thing, that doing shit like this is okay whether or not it happened. Now, keep in mind, if there was no video, we wouldn't be talking about this. Like, uh, uh, Because, yeah, even though all the other people on the bus would have, re would have said that, no, that's not what I saw, it wouldn't matter. Without that video and audio evidence that completely contradicts the hoax that they constructed, without that evidence... They win because you can make up anything you want. And as long as it fits that, as long as it fits the supposed problem, then it doesn't matter if it's true or not. And if there's no evidence, then it just is. And, and even for, for most of these people, as I've already demonstrated, they don't care that it was a hoax. They don't care that it was made up. It stimulated conversation. So good. Be careful when you send your kids to school these days. This is the this is the reality on college campus. All right, what else I got? Oh yeah, so like I mentioned at the top of the show, you've heard the story: cop kills some kid and an innocent bystander. I've unfortunately told that story far too many times. Here is a case where that's exactly what happened. Now, there is some, now, now here's what happened. Two people died. First of all, this kid, well, he's 19, so I guess I shouldn't say that. He's an adult. He's a teenager, though. Anyway, 19-year-old um, male called the police for a domestic violence dispute. That 19-year-old male, um, when the police got there, something happened. There is no evidence of this. So on the one side, the cop said, the kid came running after him with a baseball bat, swinging it inches in front of his face. That's what the cop says. The witnesses who were there, who were uh, granted member of his family, said that he didn't have a baseball bat and he was 20 to 30 feet away from the cop. The truth is probably somewhere in between. That said, when you call the police, which this 19-year-old male did, um, when the police get there, it's not likely if you were inviting the police to a dispute that when the police get there, you start swinging a baseball bat at them. I think everybody knows how that story ends. Either way, we don't know exactly what happened, except for the fact that he was shot and killed. Now, there was another person who was shot and killed who was a neighbor who was not involved in the incident at all and just standing around, and she had nothing to do with it, and the cop shot and killed her too. She had nothing to do with it. She was just watching from her property. Somehow a bullet found her. 
Okay. So obviously, uh, well, the kid's dead. The cop's under investigation. There's obviously a civil lawsuit against the cop. This is all standard. Uh, and that's, you know, what's supposed to happen after something like this happens. However, now the cop has filed a multi-million dollar lawsuit against two? Well, you can't sue the teen because he's dead. So the cop is suing his family. A white Chicago police officer who fatally shot a black 19-year-old student and accidentally killed a neighbor has filed a lawsuit against the teenager's estate, arguing the shooting left him traumatized. The highly unusual suit was, uh, was filed in the middle of the city's effort to grapple with serious questions about the future of its police force. This is in uh, Chicago, by the way. Those questions include the adequacy of the system. All right, I'm going to skip a bunch of the shit. The timing and unusual nature of the suit by Officer Robert Riamlo, who is seeking $10 million in damages, could complicate the, the department's efforts to demonstrate more sensitivity towards the community and how police shootings are handled. His attorney, Joel Brodsky, said it was important in the charged atmosphere to send a message that police are not targets for assault and suffer damage like everyone else. Well, uh, that can all be true, but listen, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be emotionally devastating to know, forget about, keep in mind, yes, he shot this teen and he has his own story about what happened. He shot what, no, no one is disputing that he shot the 55-year-old woman who was just watching next door. He shot and killed her too. So would that be emotionally? Yeah, well, guess what? This is part of the job, man. Part of the job of being a police officer is that it's going to be very stressful and traumatic at sometimes. It doesn't entitle you to a $10 million payout when you fuck up and you shoot some middle-aged woman who's just standing by looking. Uh, I'm going to skip over a little bit. Uh, the team's father filed a wrongful death lawsuit days after the uh, December 26th shooting, saying his son was not armed with a weapon and was not a threat. His attorney was incredulous at what he called the officer's uh, termidity in suing the grieving family over the person he shot. That's a whole new low, even for the Chicago Police Department, he said. First you shoot them, then you sue them. The lawyer provides the officer's first public account of how he says the shooting happened, offering details that differ with the family's version. It says the police officer who was responding to a domestic disturbance call with another officer opened fire after the uh, the 19-year-old man swung a bat at the officer's head at close range. A downstairs neighbor, a downstairs neighbor, 55-year-old Betty Jones was standing nearby and was shot and killed by accident. She was not part of the dispute. The fact that Legrier's actions had forced the officer to end Legrier's life and to accidentally take the innocent light of Betty Jones has caused and will continue to cause Officer Rialmo to suffer extreme emotional trauma, the filing says. Unbelievable. Boy, is that low. Okay, an autopsy determined that Legrier suffered six bullet wounds. Lawyers for Legrier and Jones have provided accounts the different from Riamos. They said the evidence indicates the officer was 20 to 30 feet away when he fired, calling into question Riamos' contention that he feared for his life. Um, it's also been questioned why the team would attack the officer since he was the one who dialed 911. 
The father of the Northern Illinois student also made a 911 call. If you're calling multiple times for help, are you going to charge a police officer and try to hit him with a bat? That's ridiculous, said the lawyer. Or maybe that was his father, whatever. And county prosecutors asked the, have asked the FBI to investigate the shooting. The, shooting. The, PD, the police department refused to comment. Such a lawsuit by an officer is extremely unusual, said Phil Turner, a former federal prosecutor and current defense attorney who is not connected to the case. He questioned whether a judge would give it any merit and said it appeared to be intended to intimidate Legrier's family. He said he had never heard of an officer blaming a shooting, his shooting victim for causing trauma. That is a known part of the job, Turner said, of policing's emotional toll. Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. Okay, here's another interesting one. So apparently in India, they've got some wacky laws. So there was this guy. I apparently, apparently he's, uh, I don't know, he probably had some money. He was the CEO of... Uh, now, he's a Scottish guy, but he's in India, and he, uh, I guess, was courting a woman for marriage, and they had a relationship where they had sex for months, five months, seemingly completely consensually. She certainly never complained about it, and they were engaged to be married. He then broke off the engagement, and that resulted with him being charged with rape, and you'd say, well, how could that happen? How could... How could somebody be charged with rape if the sex was over five months and by all accounts completely consensual? Well, the accuser says that the Scottish man who she was scheduled to marry, she alleged that he sexually assaulted her for the past five months on the pretext of marriage and later severed all ties with her. Um, this sort of of arrest would be impossible in most Western nations. This is the law in India somehow. If you, if it can be proved that you proposed to a woman and said you were going to marry her and then proceeded to have lots of sex with her for several months and that it can be proved, I guess, that you were never really serious about marrying her, then all of those incidents of consensual sex uh, magically become rape. Wow. Fucked up world. It's like the opposite of the Islamic countries where if a woman is, if a woman is raped, then she's stoned. This is, if a guy just decides he doesn't want to marry her anymore, well, now he's a rapist. Uh, the NYPD recently, uh, the, so there's a lot of, um, we call them bodegas, uh, basically like a, a small convenience store. There's probably hundreds of thousands of them throughout Manhattan. They're in every in every community. You know, you don't have uh, on a on a city block, you, you don't have the room for a supermarket, so you have a bodega, and then a couple blocks over, you have another bodega, and they sell you know, uh, kind of bare bones. They snacks, sandwiches, fruits and vegetables. But you know, it's a bodega. If you ever come to New York, you'll see it. You'll see a thousand of them. So there was this one, but now there there are rules on what you can and can't do. Apparently, this one bodega owner had multiple times broken the rules by putting uh, fruits and vegetables 
out onto the sidewalk. Like there's a there's an area you can put them, and you can't actually put the boxes on the sidewalk. So he had been cited for this a bunch of times. So cops came by, and um, they said, "You got to first of all, here's your ticket for doing this again, and you got to get all this stuff off the sidewalk." And back into your store because it's not allowed to be on the sidewalk. So he said, fine. And he started moving all the fruits and vegetables and whatever else off the sidewalk into his store. But then the NYPD decided that wasn't good enough. So what they did was they called the Department of Sanitation. They said, bring a dump truck, bring a garbage truck here right away. And once the garbage truck got there, they instructed the Department of Sanitation to take anything they see on the sidewalk, all those fruits and vegetables, and dump them into the dump truck. This is just nasty. Listen, I, I don't know the logic behind the law of whether if you can put the fruits and vegetables on the sidewalk or not. Let's say that's let's say he broke the, the rules. Fine. Cite him, write him the ticket. But there is no reason to just throw if you're gonna confiscate all the food, for God's sake, at least give it to a homeless shelter, give it to a church, give it to anyone who feeds the homeless. You know, instead, no, you just throw all the food. I mean, it was thousands of dollars worth of food. Um, I don't know if they had, if they really, I, I, well, I guess they do have the legal authority to take it away from, but why put, why throw it in the landfill? You could feed hungry people with it for fuck's sake. It's just, it's just, it's just nasty. It's just really nasty. I don't like our mayor um, for lots of reasons, but at least he, he did come out with a good statement on this. And, um, he said, listen, this is never going to happen again. You know, if anything like this happens, if food has to be confiscated because people are breaking the rules, it's going to feed hungry, hungry people. And that's kind of, one would think, common sense. Not always in this city. I have, st- I'm going to do my little snooze review last. I, ha- I have a story I'm missing here. Oh, well, a couple other, uh, just very quick things. I've talked about the the mass rape attacks in, in Germany and elsewhere in Europe. Um, I think I had mentioned the last time that out of those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sexual assaults, um, robberies and rapes that happened on New Year's Eve in Cologne, that there had only been two arrests. And that's true. Now the police are trying are finally trying to make some more arrests, but it's not what you think. You see, the only reason anyone knows a pretty good picture of what actually happened is because a lot of not part, partly from social media, people saying, "Hey, I was there and I got raped" or whatever, but also because a lot of the police calls and um, documentation that were taken down that night got leaked. To the media. Uh, so what are the police doing? They're trying to figure out who did it. That's what they're trying to do now. So there will probably be some arrests in the future, but not the rapists. Just, you know, the people who are actually doing something good and leaking the information to show how the police tried to cover up a rape orgy on New Year's Eve. I meant to do this right at the top of the show, but... I'm watching three TV shows, The Walking Dead, Vinyl, and Better Call Saul. The Walking Dead in the past has gone from excellent 
you know, before this season or before even last season has gone from excellent to unwatchable. This season has been quite good. If you gave up on the show in the past, now's a good time to pick it up. It's getting really, really good. You know, I am watching this new show, Vinyl, which is basically about a record company in the in the 1970s. And I'm just so surprised by how many people fucking don't like it. I, I mean, I think more people like it than not, but I'm watching this and it's just fucking awesome. It's sex, drugs, and rock and roll and good acting. And it's, I don't know, it's just a fucking party. Um, I highly recommend it, um, but... I'm just giving the disclaimer by that a lot of people who whose taste I really uh, trust and respect in all things pop culture find it unwatchable. I don't know. Uh, either way, I mean you'll get the you'll get the deal with the, with episode one. Just watch the first episode. You'll know whether or not it's your, your thing. I think it's fucking fantastic. Um, executive producers Martin Scorsese and Mick Jagger, I think, are doing a fine job with this excellent new show. Final. Highly recommended. And then finally, um, Better Call Saul, which was uh, which is a spinoff of Breaking Bad. Season one was okay, and I might not blame you if you left it behind. Season two has been far better, and it's getting really good. Um, really, really enjoying it, and I have a feeling it's just about to get extremely violent, which is great because that didn't happen at all in season one. So I do recommend Better Call Saul. All right. Uh, this was just a weird thing I came across. Oh, no, no, no. I This this is, before I get to that, here's a story. This is, uh, I've covered the story in the past. There's a woman who is a, a professor, another social justice warrior professor, at a university, it seems they can't keep themselves out of trouble. She had a, a student who had a brother, and for whatever reason, she came in contact with her graduate student's brother. Now, the student's brother had was um, really quite far beyond just mentally retarded. Um, his intelligence is actually very hard to measure because he doesn't even have the ability to speak or to type on a keyboard. But somehow she came in contact with him. This is a married woman. <laughs> Not the, whatever. So she somehow came in contact with him and started a relationship with him, which uh, the disabled, the mentally disabled man's brother first thought was, um, therapeutic in some way she was trying to help him learn how to communicate and she might have been she was trying to there's this uh thing called a facilitated communication where um someone who's disabled can be helped to type with someone else's hand the science on the subject says it doesn't exist um that that, that it just it's bullshit that basically whatever the person who's disabled ends up typing is really whatever the person who's controlling his hand wants him to say or type Anyway, this led into this, uh, this woman had a, a sexual relationship with him for a long time, got uh, eventually arrested because this man has no ability to consent. Um, his legal guardians are his family. 
and they certainly did not consent to any sexual contact. But it's just a, it's a, it's just a fucked up story. I'm not even taking a strong side on this either way. I, I don't because ultimately, nobody can know except that very disabled man whether or not he was consenting to sex with this woman, and that's impossible to know because this man can't communicate. He has no means of communicating whatsoever. Uh, and even if he did have control over his fingers enough to where he could type, it's questionable if he has the mental capability of, you would never, you would not consider this person more than a, a toddler. I mean, that's how disabled he is mentally. It's just a fucked up weird story. Um, I'll, I'll let you read, you know, if you want to read the story, it's in the replay notes. It's just, I think this this woman who's going to go to jail now for 10 years, just everything she's been teaching her students about this entitlement and social justice, it, it all ties into everything else I've been talking about the show, it, about later earlier in the show. It's just a weird, sad story. I don't even know what to think about it. It's just fucked up. Um, and, you know, just in case you're phone was too rectangular for you because according to these two women who work for Microsoft women have a problem with rectangular objects particularly if they're uh, you know technology based things these women say that women they say that what women really want is they want a smartphone that's in the shape of a circle and opens up like, I don't know, a compact or a case of birth control pills. I, I don't know what the what they're thinking exactly. Those are the things that come to mind for me. So what they did was they made a, they're doing a Kickstarter now for a circle phone, which, I mean, I don't know what these women were doing for Microsoft. It certainly wasn't product development because this thing, it looks like a toy. It, it, it's, it's a piece of shit phone. It's, it's. I mean, I think it's ugly. Um, I don't think it's functional, and that's not really opinion. The thing doesn't do anything. But they think it's going to be a big hit, and they want to get this Kickstarter going because, you know, women can't deal with re rectangular objects. You know, this is a case where if this was a any other company that wasn't a company that was established by women that is exclusively uh, has exclusively female employees that was doing something making a product specifically for women any other company like if apple made this product or, or samsung or, or or anyone else who has some legitimate if they had made this product that does nothing that is a little circle thing phone for women because women have issues with rectangular objects, those companies would be called misogynistic, and rightly so, I think. Uh, I don't think women really believe this, that they want a non-functional circular phone just because it fits in their handbag better, but that's what, and, and matches their outfits, which is exactly what these women are saying. It's infantilizing, it's stupid, and it will fail, and it's just, it's, it's just sad that these women, they have these ideas, I guess, for themselves. It's sad that they think that other women think this way too, because they don't.
And finally, snooze. I have got some new snooze. And it kicks ass because it has a fucking shitload of nicotine in it. Before, so James Martin has been helping me a lot with this because, you know, it's like e-liquid. There's, there's a million types of snooze and, and sizes and flavors and all this stuff. I mean, if you order through Sweden, it's like, you know, the world's your oyster. You, you really have a great, great choice of product out there. Now, uh, James had helped me with my first order, and I and from that first order came, um, you know, I'd say about 80% of the snooses that he recommended to me, I really liked and, you know, ordered more of. But I wanted to investigate some stronger snooze because, you know, just like e-liquid, you know, you got uh, similar things for snooze. It's, I guess, milligrams of nicotine per X amount of tobacco. I don't really know what it is, but I know what the numbers mean. Basically, regular snooze is 8 milligram. Um, strong snooze is when you get to the 1.2 to 1.5 milligram, and that's the strongest I had tried. And it wasn't quite enough for me. You know, I found at certain times I would put in another, I put in another packet before the other was done just to get a little more nicotine in me, you know, um, because I'd rather just not vape anymore. I'd rather just use snooze. And, you know, I was still, so I, I'm like, James, help me out. I'd like to try some higher nicotine. And I have some things to say about that. And then I have some things to say about the King Mac Daddy of them all, the strongest snooze in the entire world. That's what I'll, that's the Siberia Red, which I'll save for last, which I probably wouldn't have ordered, but James convinced me to. So anyway, what do I have here? that I have tried that is new. Here, 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 and here. Okay, so I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have eight snooses that I'd like to tell you about. Okay. Um, first, I'll start with one that came highly recommended to me by James. Uh, this is not gonna work out for me. This is the Odin's Extreme Portion Vanilla snooze, I don't like the flavor. So any of you who are listening, uh, I'm not going to be using this. I used like two portions from this. So the can is, the tin is mostly full. It's a nice tin. All the Odin's tins are beautiful. Actually, I really like them. Um, so this Odin's Extreme Portion Vanilla is not for me. If you want, if you have some snooze that is not for you, maybe you want to trade some with me. Just hit me up, clickbangradio at gmail.com. The, the the vanilla flavor just, I'm not surprised, actually. I mean, I, I only tried it because it came so highly recommended by James, and, I'm you know, that's fine. You know, I'm not going to like everything. But um, vanilla is just not for me. It was Vanilla was not for me in e-liquid, and it's not for me in snooze. Not for me, so that's that. Now, every other Odin's, I have three other Odin's. I, I was not familiar with Odin's before uh, this latest order that I placed, and I'm a big fan of the company because these other three uh, kick pretty serious ass. Um, then I have here the Odin's Extreme Portion Double Mint, which uh, is just, it's just what you think. It's 2.2 uh, nicotine, I believe. Uh, so that's like almost twice as strong as what I've tried before. So it's a nice shot of nicotine and a ton of mint. So if you're like a menthol kind of person, 
I definitely highly uh, recommend Odin's Extreme Portion Double Mint. Excellent. I also try, you know, the what I actually have in my lip now is uh, not one of the snooses I'm talking about, but something I reordered, which was the uh, Jacobin's, the, and this is known by many, many snoozers as just a fantastic flavor, uh, fruit-flavored snooze. This is uh, Jacobson's Melon Stark Slim White Dry Portion. Um, this is one of my favorite snooses. Um, I think it's over one. Some of these some of these snooses, they don't put the nicotine on the bottom. I don't know why. Some of them do, some of them don't. This, this doesn't. This, I believe it's in the 1.2 to 1.5 range. So it's on the medium strong end, uh, but not it's not super strong. Um, and this is the this is probably my favorite snooze because the flavor is excellent and it lasts forever. The flavor lasts so fucking long. It's awesome. But it's not quite good enough, not quite high enough for of nicotine that, that I'd like that I'd like at times. Um, as as it gets later into the night, I want more nicotine. So the Jacobsons, this is my favorite snooze, but I wanted it with more nicotine. Now, Jacobsons does not make a higher nicotine version. I, I wish they would, but Odin's does. Odin's makes an extreme portion uh, melon, extreme portion melon. Um, the taste is good. It's not as good as the Jacobsons. Now, this is, uh, the Jacobsons is a white portion so it's meant to be slower onset, longer lasting. So this is kind of cool because the this Odin's extreme, uh, extreme portion melon. It's the darker ones. It's the it's it's the uh, they're not dry white portions. They're they're um, wet brown versions. So you get the flavor and the nicotine pretty quickly. Um, and this is again a, it's an extreme nicotine. So it's a two point two uh, milligram and. I love it. I find that the flavor hit. Now, the flavor is not as good as the Jacobson's, but you get the flavor quick. You get the nicotine quick. It doesn't last as long. So when I'm done with this, I pop in a Jacobson's and I'm fucking cruising. So this is great. I like it. The Odin's that I like the most out of what I've tried so far, and I only, this wasn't a recommendation from James. The only reason I bought this was because it was really cheap on Snooze Central and it and the tin is a, a beautiful metal, metal tin. Now they had made in the past they had made this Odin's extreme white portion so what do they call it it's hard it's kind of hard to tell sometimes uh Odin's extreme white dry so it's what you would think it's a 2.2 or somewhere around 2.2 milligram uh white dry so it's a menth very strong mint menthol type flavor <coughs> Pardon me. I came out of nowhere. Stand by. Anyway, Odin's um, extreme extreme white dry. Yeah. So, like I said, when they they had made this in the past, and people, I was reading the reviews on Snoo Central, and people really liked it. Nobody had a bad thing to say about it, but for whatever reason. When they originally introduced it, like you only got like 12 portions in a can. And that just sucks, you know, 12 portions. Most most cans come with, you know, from, you know, from 
18 to 24 portions. You know, I'm not, I don't buy anything unless it's got 20 portions in a can. So I looked at that and I'm like, well, the reviews are great, but I'm not buying that because I'm not buying a 13 portion can. But then I looked around and they were having on special the same snooze, Odin's Extreme, uh, the uh, Odin's Extreme White Dry. It also says cold dry on the front. I don't know. It's really hard to tell what a snooze is actually called. But they, they have it now in a metal can, which is beautiful. And I love these metal cans that have the catch cup inside. At first, I, I had a whiskey snooze that I didn't end up liking. And I didn't, I didn't think it even had a catch cup. But it turns out when you open it, there's this black thing underneath it. And you got to find the secret thing to open it. And you indeed do have a catch there for your used snooze. I love the style of can. Uh, that's not as important. The snooze rocks. And they chose, that not only was it cheaper in the metal can, but they give you a full-size portion in it too. A full, uh, you know, like 20 portions in it. So this is probably my favorite out of all of the Odins. Extreme white portion dry. If you go to snooze central, look for the one in the uh, metal tin that costs less for whatever reason. I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's great, and I love it. Uh, I tried a couple of Generals. Uh, I got an XR uh, Strong Slim White Dry. Now, this is... Well, it's not that strong. Well, this is only 135. It's okay. It's fine. Uh, I love Bergamot, so I needed to re-up with something that had that Bergamot, and I went with this, so that's cool. It's all right. I probably won't order it again, but it's it's fine. I'll find something else with bergamot in it. But it's the XR Slim White Strong. It's got the red. It's 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 black. It's black and it's got a red circle around it. It's 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 fine. I, I wouldn't order it again. It's okay. The G3 is is better. Uh, also from uh, General. This has two two nicotine. This is the G3. It's got the uh, black can with the red uh, rectangle on it. And this is. Uh, not a white portion. This is a wet or brown portion. Uh, and this is pretty good. I like it. I'm not sure I would order it again. It's basically like if you like the G3 stuff and you want stronger, that's what it is. So I like it. Um, I'm not in love with it, but I like it. Um, oh, one I forgot. I just ordered this on a whim and I, and I like it because I had met up with Jamie, um, Jamie Richard at, Katz's Deli. He was in uh, New York for uh, for work, and he actually had some general uh, mint portions, but they were mini portions. And I had never tried a mini portion before, so I'm like, oh, let me try one of those. And it was good, great, great taste and everything. But what really got me was like how comfortable, because the portions are so small, they're super, super comfortable. And I'm just like, wow, that's great. I mean, I like that, you know. You know, I would probably put in two at a time, but it's still so comfortable because they're so small. So when I was on my on the site ordering some stuff, I'm like, I wonder what kind of mini portions they have at a Snoo Central. So I checked it out, and they have one of my favorite snooses, which is the Gottelberg's Rappé. They have a white mini version of it, and it's so cute. The, the can is so tiny. Um, super, you know, it's the same Rappé flavor that I love. Uh, fits very comfortably under the lip. And what I do with this is I, I try combining it with like other menthol portions. 
So like I have some of those other, you know, some older stuff that's not the high nicotine. So I put in one, the top part of my lip, I put in like my whatever portion of, of whatever. And then I put in on the other side of the rapé and you get an, a new interesting flavor and comfortable and just an extra little kick up of nicotine. And they're just so fucking cute. So uh, the rapé mini I like. Now, here's the last two I'm going to get to. These are the Siberia snoozes. Um, there are two. One, well, actually, Siberia makes a bunch of different snoozes. Uh, this is from GN Tobacco. Uh, they make a bunch of different ones. The two that were available on Snoo Central, and this is not a commercial for Snoo Central. It's just that that's the only site I've ordered from, and I'm happy with them, and I'm not looking to go to other sites because ordering snooze through the mail is not a fun process. So I'm not looking for a new company to, you know, unless there's something remarkable that I just have to try that I can only get from some other place. I'm fine with saying from them. And snooze central only has these two Siberias. So they're called, um, one is blue. It's called ice cold power, negative 80 degrees centigrade white. So this is good. Um, I don't think I'll get it again because I prefer the Odin's cold white. I certainly prefer the can and I pr prefer the snooze. Um, the Siberia is is very good. It has some sort of whatever paper they're using. Just take a smell of this. Oh, it smells great. I mean, I love the snooze too. Maybe I would get it again. I don't know. The, the, the portions. See, what I like about it is the paper is silky smooth. They're using some kind of paper that no one else is using. That's what I really like about it. What I don't like about it is that they're all, just about every portion here, they're all, all the, they're, the tobacco is all, it's all like, yeah, just about every portion. They're, it's all like squished down into the end and then you gotta take it out and you gotta fluff it. So I don't like that about it, but the paper is nice, very smooth, very comfortable. And the snooze is good. I enjoy it. It's a nice, strong, minty flavor. And it's like, you know, I think this is like 2.4. Does it say on the back? No, of course not. Anyway, so here is this. Now, this thing is a fucking monster here. Same company, Siberia, red can, extremely strong, negative 80 degrees centigrade, white dry. Now, this, no one is debating whether or not this is the strongest snooze in the world. It is. This is 40-something milligrams, so it's it's more than twice as strong than what other companies are considering extreme portions. So I'm like, that is that sounds crazy. And I started looking up some reviews on it, and a lot of the, oops, undiscarded portion. A lot of the people who are reviewing this are saying that this is just, this shit is just fucking crazy, and it's, you know, people people who are like, I've been using snooze for 20 years, whatever, and this shit I put in, I can't keep it in for more than a half hour. This, this, this shit is just fucking crazy. I mean, no one is debating. This is the strongest snooze in the world, okay? So, you know, when I was asking James about stuff, I'm like, you know, have you tried this Siberia Red? And he said, oh, yeah. And I'm like, listen, is this of any use at all? Because everything I read says that this shit will just give you the spins and you'll have to lie down on your bed and that it serves no purpose whatsoever. And he says, that's not quite true. He says, you have to use the snooze very carefully. Number one, you must use the snooze 
on a full stomach. You have to have eaten a full meal before you try this. So I says, okay, no problem. Number two, only use it when you're drinking. I said, oh, okay. Or, or And before that even, and only use it if you've already had a strong portion in before this. So I followed his advice. I had a strong portion in after I had eaten a, a, a big meal. And then I'm at the bar. Okay. Now I'm ready to try the Siberia Extremely Strong White Dry. Smells like the other one. Yeah, smells like the other one. Now, you see with this one, the tobacco is evenly distributed through the portions. The portions have the same really silky smooth paper, but every portion in this has evenly distributed tobacco. When I go back to the blue portion, they're all lumped to one end. I don't know. Why does that happen? This one looks funny. Yeah, I'm never buying the I'm never buying this blue again. Now the red I will. Let me tell you. This is by far and away. I don't care what you you know, I don't have a lot of experience with oral tobacco beyond snooze. So I don't know anything about chewing tobacco, snuff, that shit you shoot up your nose. Um, you know, all I know is I know vaping. I know snooze. I know smoking, you know, I know cigars, I know cigarettes, I know pipes, I've done all that stuff. This, Siberia Red, extremely strong, is the strongest nicotine experience I've ever had in my life. It is truly otherworldly. This is serious fucking shit. This shit is no fucking joke, and I would never, ever use this unless, like James recommended, full stomach, already had a strong portion in before this and while drinking. But if you put, if you align all those stars, holy shit, does it fuck you up? Oh my God. It, it is you. I literally get fucking intoxicated. I, I, I get a nicotine buzz like I've never gotten since I was, you know, 10 years old and, you know, stealing my father's cigarettes off the, off the refrigerator, you know? It's, this is some heavy shit, man. It is something, and I will get it again. I won't use it very often, but this, it'll knock your socks off. I mean, you really got to be careful with this stuff. But uh, if you do it the way that James says, and that's exactly the way I'd recommend it, like, I would, I would not use the snooze. I, I know it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but honestly, I would never use the snooze and operate a motor vehicle. I would never use the snooze when I had to be productive in any way. I would never use the snooze when fine motors. Well, I don't know about that. I think I tried shooting. Yeah, I tried shooting pool. That went well, actually. So maybe not, maybe not that. But I like if you have to do anything important, don't use the snooze because it fucks you up. In the most beautiful way, if you combine it with a full stomach and alcohol, it is beautiful. Now, according to the company, now, according to everybody, this is the strongest snooze in the world. No one, no one, uh, oh, James is here. Hey, what's up, man? Thanks. Good pick, dude. I'm fucking loving this.
What a buzz. Woo-wee. Yeah, man. Good fucking shit. So beer or red. Now, oh, yeah, what I was saying, nobody debates that this is the strongest news in the world. It is. Now, the what the company says, and I don't know if, if I believe them or not, but the company says that you cannot make snooze stronger than this, that it's impossible to make snooze stronger than 43 or 44 milligram, whatever it is. I don't know if that's true or not, but there's nobody making anything even close to as strong as this, probably because there's a very limited market. But following James's instructions, I was able to put in the, pa the packet and use it for the whole time, really, you know, two, three, two hours, I think I, I left it in for. Fucking great buzz, man. Best nicotine experience of my life. Thanks for the recommendation. That's what I got on Snooze. And that's probably what I got for the show. Let me play something extremely stupid, followed by some good music. Thanks for listening tonight, folks. I'll see you soon. Uh, this is uh, Flavor and Vapor. Check it out.